welcome to the Inclusive Leader Podcast. The practice of inclusive leadership enables us to tackle the complex challenges of our times. This is the space for conversations about inclusive leadership. I am your host, Jörg Schmitz, and I welcome you to this episode. I'm really excited to share this conversation with Ken Price with you. Ken is a longtime colleague and friend, and he has found a way to make anthropology very useful to leaders and organizations in order to address persistent challenges in their culture. And uh, that's not a small feat, as, uh, as you will know, and particularly relevant when it comes to making real progress in DEI and embedding some of the practices of DEI deeply into organization cultures. But not only is anthropology a value to help us address some of these cultural challenges, he has also discovered how building anthropological skills can actually help us embody and perhaps even teach the spirit of inclusive leadership. To use his words, it's about living in the discomfort zone and tapping the value that that holds, not only for our own individual growth, but also for the growth in our organizations. So here is my conversation with Ken. So Ken, I have been looking forward to this conversation for a long time <laughs> to make you part of this podcast. And I'll ask you, although, you know, it's a little strange <laughs> because we've been working together for such a long time, but I'll just ask you anyway, what I, what I ask everybody. Um, so what do you do? Well, thanks for inviting me to your podcast series, York, first of all. And although we had worked together for a long time, I felt like your questions, as always, are provocative and make me think about what have we been doing and what am I doing for the past nearly two decades. So, uh, like yourself, I'm a cultural anthropologist and uh, have been so for about 30 years. And so, I became an anthropologist because I was interested to learn more about what I could do, which is important, with regard specifically to India at that time. And I wanted to be able to be able to live in India doing something hopefully productive and supportive in the local uh, environment. So in other words, I, I chose to become an anthropologist because I wanted to do something specifically in India because of my previous experience there. And I wanted to continue that difficult to do uh, in the early 90s uh, coming from a Western background. So anyway, I um, became an applied anthropologist, which was not at all common in the early 90s. And the focus of applying anthropology to this day is what I feel I do. And I uh, appreciate that I've been able to follow that desire, that dream to this moment where we are really working in organizations of all kinds, and working with individuals who frequently have large decisions on their plate uh, to help them to potentially or really see new opportunities that they might have missed. And I think that's um, some of the value that anthropology brings is, is additional perspectives that are not uh, easily accessible from uh, normal day-to-day -day living. So before we continue on that note, it's probably well worth <laughs> for many listeners to define anthropology a little bit. 
because I, I, I oftentimes find that that's that, that people have all, all kinds of notions of what anthropology is actually about. Yes, I agree. Well, and I, and I think similarly, we need to start with culture, because if we talk about a cultural anthropologist, uh, th- both of those words <laughs> are both known and un- unknown, undiscovered to some extent, I think, for many people. So I I, uh, I look first at culture. I mean, culture is much more than what I ever imagined it was before I became an anthropologist. And I'm still I'm trying to understand what is culture, honestly, at this point. But what is certainly included is really the result of what people do when they come together. And it doesn't take more than two people to come together before you begin to form a culture. I mean, there's certainly a Jorgen Ken culture which we're uh, living here right now. But then there's uh, you know, culture up to the level of nation, certainly, and, and what we commonly think of as culture. But it, it resides within teams and organizations. And it, it's what we, you know, we, we have described as the shared values, beliefs, behaviors, attitudes. Shared is really important because otherwise they're psychological. But I guess the... Um, in an organizational setting, what we say is it's, it's those values, beliefs, behaviors, attitudes shared that tend to be most expected by the group, reinforced by the group, and rewarded ultimately by the group. And I, I think that puts forward for us distinctions in culture between what is commonly stated as our culture, the descriptions of culture that we may uh, put forward. And then the potential gap between what we say is our culture and what, in fact, is our culture, because it's what we do. It's what we really value. It is what we expect reinforce and reward. <clears throat> so culture is very dynamic, clearly. It is, uh, is very much a living space. I wouldn't call it a, it's, a, it's not a body, it's not a, but it's a living space. And we all kind of live within it. And we affect it at the same time. So anthropology is a social science uh, that is oriented to understand and and in, in particularly the case of applying that understanding in applied anthropology, understanding and then looking for opportunities to align the culture that we have or desire to have to uh, larger outcomes. You know, in other words, our strategy or what we really want to be or to do, ultimately. So I think anthropology has a, you know, what makes it unique as a social science is the methodology more than anything, in my opinion. Because I think as a a sociologist, uh, organizational psychologist, you can uh, look at similar questions and um, arrive at, at an analysis or an understanding that is is very productive. The, the unique methodology, which others actually have applied in other disciplines now increasingly, is participant observation. And participant observation, which is, is really the hallmark of anthropology going back 100 years or so, centers on the notion that you become an outsider on the inside and you live as part of that community, part of that group. And from doing so, you retain a certain level of distance, but the distance is blurred because you're living there and you have to uh, take on uh, a lot of the practices and expectations uh, of that community. The distance is in the ability to observe 
while you're participating uh, effectively to be able to capture a, an experience from that insider perspective as far as possible. The capturing of that and the codifying or the organization of that data resulting in some kind of a communication, uh, some kind of a report frequently is what's meant to be useful, right? To move forward the understanding of that community. And in the world that we work in, where it's it's frequently uh, you know applying anthropology in institutions, organizations of all kinds, including corporations, governmental, non-governmental, the value of that understanding that you are seeking and, and seek to derive is for the community itself. And that is also different than other types of anthropology that are more academic, where you may be producing an understanding for an academic community frequently. Um, but in this case, where, where we work in applied anthropology, the application is to take the understanding to that group or to potentially others as well, but really to the group most commonly so that they can make decisions based off of that understanding. So what I what I um I, I think this was thanks for you know just walking walking this 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 back a little bit, um just looking understanding that anthropology is a social science actually, um a science that looks at um that studies actually what culture right what people do when they get together uh, in in the simplest form and it's probably a surprise to many especially leaders in organizations that culture has a study right is an object of study in a sense um because i've i've felt and and when when we've worked together also that many leaders operate with with a relatively shallow view or understanding of of this cultural the, the, the cultural factor that is part of their organizations. Uh, agreed. Um, shallow, undeveloped. To the understanding of that experience of not having a deeper understanding of culture itself, I think, is, uh, is, is, is important for all of us because most people without any training do not understand how to examine and study culture. I mean, but... I think one of the confusing things about culture is that we talk about it so much and we talk about it in so many different ways. And we can talk about it as, you know, the cultural artifacts, in other words, are frequently what people refer to when they refer to culture broadly. Cultural artifacts, including things such as the arts, music, and any kind of result of what we do, again, when we come together. Uh, the artifacts are a critical part of culture and understanding culture. But what we're really looking at is the interaction of people in the culture and the result of those interactions. And, and we're looking for patterns. I think that's a really critical element of the definition. It's not just the one-off experience that we're looking to find as much. I mean, those are important, but really the most important thing is identifying, you know, the, the patterns of behavior that really inform the direction of the culture over time as it, and it, it will evolve. So the patterns can give you both a notion of where we've been how we got to where we are, where we are, and it may be able to portend to some extent where we're going to go. And uh, if we don't agree with it, that's where the decision-making comes in, particularly for leaders, but really for all in the culture to make decisions. Do we like where we've been? Do we like where we are? Do we like where we're going based on that? This may be a really good just jumping off point to to to, to the next question, namely, 
how, what kind of problems do people bring to you in your practice? And as a practicing anthropologist or an applied anthropologist, where you, you say, this is how I can help people see new opportunities or uncover those new opportunities you talked about? That's an important question. I think one of the things I, my first thought, honestly, is one of the things I love about doing this work is it is highly variable. I mean, it changes all the time. We have new challenges continually. Having said that, talking about patterns as we were a moment ago, I think that, you know, again, if we just take a broad brush stroke approach to that response, I would say that the, in the first instance, the challenge that people will bring is to say, okay, we know what we know. Can you help us to know what we don't know? In other words, where are our blind spots? And that is an assessment. That's an analysis based on um, doing anthropology, becoming insiders to their world as much as possible, coming out with a diagnosis based on that data and the analysis of the data of who they are, so that we can come back to them and say, well, you, you may know this, 90, 85% of what we're going to tell you, you will know. There will be another 10 or 15% that perhaps is not so known to you that may be uh, revealing something in a space that has not been examined previously by yourselves. So let me come to a more concrete example of that. I I can think of of cases where we have uh, been asked to come in because there is something happening that is not uh, in line with what is the stated value of the organization, you know, and that can come in many different forms. But essentially, if you begin to identify that there are patterns of behavior that do not align with what we believe we should be, that could fall within diversity, equity, inclusion worlds. It could fall within uh, the world of performance. In, in the sense that we may see performance gaps related to engagement, for example. And if we see, okay, there, there's a challenge here. We could, we could either have uh, more inclusion, which would also increase our performance. We could have a, a greater sense of ownership in an organization. Right now, there's not very much accountability, it feels. And, and, and organizations may identify that, bring that as a challenge to us to say, why aren't people feeling or acting accountable? Why are people not feeling or acting included uh, or engaged? And, and we need to help them then to come up with data-driven responses to that really critical question. Ultimately, York, these things, you know, the, the reason that we do this as a business in our consulting is because it impacts performance. Performance impacts results and uh, results in a corporate environment or financial ultimately results in organizations such as uh, governments and uh, non-governmental. It's to do with the quality of the service that they are able to deliver for a certain community. So it's really about increasing the results, whatever the goal of the organization may be. And usually what I've noticed is that people sometimes they approach you when other sources, other conventional sources haven't really brought about that result, right? I mean, I think, I mean, it takes a little bit of, <laughs> it's it's not the conventional call to make, you know, let me call the anthropologist on staff or so, right? But I mean, I've noticed it's it's oftentimes when other 
but when when other tools or other solutions have been they've tried things and um and it that didn't really create the impact they they wanted and and so this is kind of a different way a different tool a different approach i think that's absolutely right in my experience and it makes me wonder what are some examples of those approaches that haven't necessarily worked that you've seen well, I mean, I've seen, uh, you know, for example, I mean, it's it's just as, as simple as sometimes the conventional engagement survey, right? That that somehow we're, we're especially in the DNI space, right? There in our initiatives and programs and whatnot. Yet the impact is not either measured, you know, there is no impact, or is it having an impact? And somehow we can't answer that question. Or we, are, we may be missing something in the way we do DE&I that somehow is not, does not resonate, and, but we can't explain it. So all this training and all these com- com- campaigns or whatnot are really not missing the point somehow. But how do we know? What, 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 point, what, what is that point? Where, where are we missing it? And where can we correct? I think that's what I have seen, for example, in the DEI space, but not just there, also in leadership development, for example. Right. Or team engagement, uh, for sure. I think, I think that's right. I, yeah, I guess it brings me back to this notion that anthropology offers the possibility to go under the hood. Right. If we think of that analogy, it allows us to see why as much as what. And I think frequently the other areas that you talked about that, you know, maybe don't necessarily get you the result that you're seeking are focused more on the what, capturing what is it? What does it need to be? A lot of what we're going to look at is why. Why is it running well? Why is it not running well? And what therefore is running well, what is not running well, we can we can provide more uh, depth by really going deeper onto the inside. I mean, you know, I think what we need to remember here is we're, we're talking about human experience, essentially. We're talking about human beings. We're talking about the experience of people at the level of emotion, of communication, of self-perception, other perception. It, it, it's it's a highly humanistic experience, in other words, to try to get under the hood. And it is not easily accessible. What, what it really comes down to, in order for us to be any good at what we're trying to do as anthropologists, is we need to gain the trust of the people, the humans with whom we're working. Um, and, and in this case, we're trying to study, in a sense. You know? And then the, the data, what I've learned increasingly, the data is not just that people say something and therefore we have data which is what people said that's that's true but that's really not the best quality data the quality of the data in the case of an anthropologist is directly related to the depth of the truth that people are willing to share with you so that is i think what really sets us apart in in that participant observation methodology is to establish a relationship of trust that uh you need to protect at all costs, even at the cost of potentially uh, representation or reporting. In other words, in some cases, you cannot represent or report what you've learned because you have to protect it first in the confidentiality of what has been shared that can be very personal. Having said that, if you talk about patterns and themes, uh, that is where it becomes very powerful to uh, sort of report it back to say, you know what, it's not just one person, it's not just two people, but 
This is a very profound experience shared by a number of people. That that has a lot of value. And yeah, for me, this is also the connection. I mean, a powerful connection to this work around inclusive leadership, because ultimately, you can't. We can't be inclusive as leaders if we don't develop trust. And you you can't just ask somebody, "Do you trust me or not?" Or do you trust? You know, I mean, it it takes some some deeper engagement. And sometimes, if I as a leader need to figure out how I am being trusted. I'm not the one who can who can do this research, who can find that out, right? So I need somebody who 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 understands how culture works, really works, and get under the hood. And 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 I think that's that's what you're doing. And also the 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 trust element, right? Being able to gauge trust. And and we've seen this together in many organizations where trust is the basic issue, but you know, there is no, just no survey, no quick tool that can actually really tell you um, the level of trust or distrust that actually exists in a, in a culture. No, it's, I mean, it's uh, paradoxical because if you come out and ask people in an untrusting environment, do you trust me? Then they're going to say yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, because of the power dynamic. So that, how do you get, uh, how do you get behind that? That's, that's what we're trying to address is how you can get behind those very challenging human experiences that directly impact the performance of, of a group. And I get excited about this, um, this ability through this institute, actually, to connect leaders and members to this capability to leverage anthropology for to get under the hood of culture and really develop their culture further in a sustainable way and not stay at the surface of culture, which which is where, where as we, we we talk, many, many leaders operate or, or or many organizations operate. They really do not sometimes mean culture when they talk about culture. Question, why do you do this work? Why, why? I mean, what? What? What is that? That you? You talked a little bit about India, and that's where things started for you. But, but why? Well, so, so I think I seeded my response to that question by my introduction, as you said, about India and, and why I became an anthropologist, and why I'm doing this work is because I want to do anthropology. Why do I want to be an anthropologist? Why do I? Because I I, I want to engage in communities different than what I know of all kinds, all over the world, as much as possible, in a productive, beneficial way, as much as possible. I mean, and that's always complicated. It's very complicated when you look at, you know, where I was looking initially around challenges related to international or uh, rural development, you know, performed by international agencies and so forth. That was something that fascinated me regarding India, I so I started looking at the organization itself and saying, okay, now if I join one of these organizations, what impact am I likely to have? And I can become trained on international development theory and application, and then I can go into that field, which is really an industry. And in the early 90s, uh, I was put off by what I learned when I looked into that, that I, a lot of the effects of what they were doing was not in line with the stated values of the organization or of the needs of the community. They were frequently uh, reinforcing power structures, in other words, that uh, everybody seemed to agree were not healthy and dynamics and so forth. So in other words, I, I felt like, you know, I think it would be a good idea before I jump into that world to take a very critical or self-critical view of the practice of development itself. 
Now, I, I did that and I lived in India as a result for over a decade. And, and I got to live and work in those settings for many years, which was, was you know, just uh, invaluable. And I'm extraordinarily fortunate to have been able to do that. But I also realized later that uh, the application of those concepts or uh, approaches really are valuable in any organization uh, with any set of goals. And so that's kind of where now uh, the work we do includes organizations like that. I'm working on a project right now that is very much engaged in global international development at the local community, marginalized community level. So I get to still do that, which is really tremendous for me. But that's not the main of what we do, as one might imagine. It's with organizations, corporations, and large institutions, or small organizations and institutions sometimes. But the the why has remained the same, which is that I really want to engage in very diverse worlds and, and learn by being invited in. You have to be invited in. You can't just insert yourself you have to be invited <laughs> uh, which is a whole process in itself by the way to gain an invitation but i think when you um when you get that and you and you are able to in fact be an anthropologist in an environment and you get to come back and help people to identify those blind spots identify the confirmations of what they are doing that they want to continue which is very important and not to be overlooked it's not always about changing sometimes it's about uh, doubling down on what we have and what we do, but just all the insights that can be derived from the value of, of doing our work well uh, is very fulfilling. I think, and you know, it, it makes you feel that you've you've been able to play a positive role in a lot of people's lives, and that has intrinsic value. Yeah, I think it's so much at the essence of what, um, I mean, in the corporate environment, we would call it diversity, equity, or inclu inclusiveness or inclusion. Um, I mean, it's, it's actually without those, without that, those words, it's actually the practice of that. And that's also what has drawn me to anthropology, I have to say, as, as one of the few disciplines, maybe the only discipline that actually puts that into, into practice, right? I mean, even though the you know, diversity, inclusion, equity, those, those words weren't in use necessarily. You know, I'm, I'm really excited to bring this, this capability and this, this perspective into the Institute and really make that core, a key pillar of doing this work around developing inclusive leaders and, 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 um, and creating cultures of inclusive leadership, actually. What is some some a practical insight, a practical takeaway that you would would emphasize at the end of our conversation? Just what what what's something that that somebody can 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 put into practice easily based on your your learning? I think, with the exception of the last word, easily, <laughs> I have an insight. I'm not sure about the easy part of this, but I I don't think very much is easy about this. To be frank, I I do feel, however, it is worth the effort. For sure. So one insight, which I, I I would say another reason, by the way, back to your earlier question about why I do this. I mean, I have grown tremendously from these opportunities that I'm describing and the situations I've been put into. Some of it is very challenging. Some of it uh, is very far outside of my comfort zone, outside of what I would necessarily even choose. You know, one thing I learned years ago, uh, I used to run programs for students 
uh, at that time coming to India. And they, I said, well, why did you come to India? Because these are people from Western colleges and universities, U- U.S.-based mostly. And the most common response was, well, I came for the challenge. And I said, well, you came to the right place because you are going to get a challenge in India. Here's the interesting point I would just caution you that challenges do not come in the form that we might prefer, which is what makes them very challenging. They come in ways that we don't like frequently. And I have experienced that many times and that forces us to grow individually and as a community, as a group. How do you stay in that space? And so it's not easy. And I'll try to come to maybe a a precept or a a notion of an element of this that could be applied and, and practiced more you know accessibly but the the real issue frequently the, the inside the real issue is how can we live in discomfort zones how can we live outside of our comfort zones um, and do it effectively and and to me the answer to that has grown with time and 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 it really comes down to some very well known well used well worn ideas or words and 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 one of them is just simply Humility. You cannot stay in a state of growth and on the edge of your discomfort and comfort unless you are maintaining a high degree of humility. Uh, that is a continual challenge in itself. You know, as, as we grow and as we have increasing res- areas of responsibility, um, it's easy to see some of that slip, and we we don't have maybe the same degree that we had when we were younger, and that's a that's a common. Uh, experience for a student, person in the student stage of their life, to be rather humble, um, but it doesn't always stick or it doesn't stay. And and I would strongly encourage that you know we look at that as we grow in our lives and our careers, etc. And but combined with that, in order, and this is very much about my notion of how to apply uh, inclusion as a leader, is to stay in that space where we are continually humbled and continually curious, that the curiosity to learn more and push further, understand more, try to uncover those blind spots, you know, put some light on something that had been dark before. That, I think, is absolutely essential to being able to practice leadership in an inclusive way. I think leadership as a practice requires certain core values of the individual. You know, it's not all cultural, in other words, but there's really got to be some individual value for this humility and curiosity. And then the final thing I would add that um, all of that is really good. But as a leader in particular, but really for anyone, uh, curiosity, humility will get you some self-development opportunities, but they may not have impact on anybody else. You, the only way that you will have that is the willingness to act on the learning that comes from the humility, curiosity, and a continual renewal of those. If you do not have a willingness to act, or you're shy to act, slow to act, that will have effects beyond what we've learned. And so that, that is some of the biggest challenge, I think, is having leadership courage to act on what we know especially as we learn more. And especially in, in, in the world that is as it's shaping up currently, you know, I think. I mean, just listening to the last, you know, what you shared is so relevant in this emerging world um, with, with all the various different challenges we are facing. 
So thank you, Ken. Um, this will be really exciting, you know, to to take this work into the context of the institute and and develop that further. Thanks for for sharing those things right now. I am very excited about it and looking forward to more. Thank you for listening. You can sign up for more wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for the Inclusive Leader Podcast. To find out more about the Inclusive Leadership Institute, visit us at www.theinclusiveleadershipinstitute.com. Thank you.